the Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Today we continue in John chapter 15. Last week we were in John chapter 15 verses 1 through 8, and this week we'll be in John 15, 9 through 17, and then next week, God willing, we'll conclude in John 15 verses 18 through 27. Now listen, you know, I, I, I really love God's Word, and I, and I often get very excited as I read it. And I, and I know that the whole book, right, the, the entire book is inspired by God, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all Scripture is inspired by God, all scripture. But I have to confess to you that, that sometimes I just get a little extra excited when Jesus speaks. And in John chapter 15 here, Jesus continues to speak. So to recap real quick, he's already taught his disciples the importance of abiding. He's taught them the, the interwoven relationship between abiding and bearing fruit, that it's absolutely impossible to have one without the other. And ultimately, that our abiding in Christ, in God, is what gives him glory. And so he continues here on the final night before the crucifixion, teaching his disciples what is probably the most important things that he needs them to know, that he wants them to understand before he goes to the cross. These are the things that he wants them to be assured of before he leaves. And today we're in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Before he was saying abide in me, now he's saying, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And if I was to summarize today's passage with a single verse, with a single sentence, it would be this. We are chosen and appointed by God 
to abide in His love, bear fruit, and to love one another. If I was to summarize today's passage in a single sentence, it would be that. We are chosen and appointed by God to abide in His love, to bear fruit, and to love one another. Amen? That's the passage today. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus wants His disciples to know that He loves them and for them to abide in His love. And then He goes on to tell them how to. How to abide in His love and what the fruit of abiding in His love will produce, which ultimately is fullness of joy. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. In His presence, abiding in Him, there's fullness of joy. Jesus goes on to tell them in, in verse 12, Now that you not only know this love, that's been bestowed upon you. He says, abide in it. Now that you not only know this love, abide in it. Abide in this love that's been revealed to you. And then he says, love each other with the same love that's been bestowed upon you. What kind of love is that? It's sacrificial love. He's speaking about sacrificial love, the, the kind that lays down its life for its friends. Christ also being the, the perfect example of this. So Jesus is saying that, that, that if you obey me, if you are a friend of mine, if, if you obey me, if you are a friend of mine, then I've chosen you and appointed you to bear abiding fruit, and so again I command you to love one another. And again, that's basically an overview of the text this morning. John chapter 15, 9 through 17. Let's read that again, and then we're going to jump into this verse by verse. John 15, 9 through 17. And again, if you don't have your Bibles, you're going to, I'm going to lose you this morning. So make sure that you follow with me verse by verse, so that I don't lose you. Love and one another is what I called the, the message today. Love and one another. John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is speaking to you this morning. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do 
what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud so that, so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall your word be that goes forth from your mouth. It shall not return to you void, but it shall accomplish that which you desire, and it shall prosper in the thing for which you sent it. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that it will produce in us that which you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up with verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The, the very first and greatest relationship to exist is the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity. They are three and yet they are one. And their relationship is perfect. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And their relationship, the relationship between Father and Son and Spirit is a perfect relationship. They are all equals, yet they manifest themselves in different ways. And they're perfectly submissive to one another. The Gospel of John is all about the Father glorifying the Son. Yet the Son glorifies the Father and only does what he sees his Father do. The Son also says to his disciples that it's better for him to leave and that the Holy Spirit come and be with them. So the Son prays to the Father that the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And the Father sends the Holy Spirit only in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us only on behalf of the will of the Father as we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And we can keep on going. But there's this perfect unity and agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect agreement and perfect submission to one another. And it's beautiful. Perfect love and oneness between and within the Trinity. The Trinity. So God has loved Jesus with a perfect love. We know how much God loved Jesus as he gave the world his very best. Himself. His son. The relationship between the father and son is frequently set forth in chapters 13 through 17 
as the paradigm between the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. And it's important for you to understand that in John chapter 15, the agricultural metaphor of the branch abiding in the vine has its limitations. It has its limitations and may not do justice in truly depicting the unfathomable love that Jesus wants his disciples to know brings them into intimacy with him. I don't think it can, it can truly bring the justice of explaining that love. So Jesus wants to make that clear right now. And he wants to be very specific. So he's not only saying here, abide in me, but he's saying now, abide in my love, which is again, intimacy with him. God loves you to the same degree that he loves Jesus. Say love. God loves you to the same degree that he loves Jesus. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we must remain in Jesus' love by exactly the same means by which he has always remained in his Father's love. Obedience. We, we must remain in Jesus' love by exactly the same means by which he has always remained in his father's love, which is obedience. It's, it's total obedience which compels Jesus to testify in John 8, 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. The obedience of Jesus is one of the central Christological realities articulated in the gospel of John. It's the obedience of Jesus. John 4 and verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of my Father. He said, that's, that's, that's food for me. Doing the will of my Father is food and to finish his work. John 5 and verse 19, John 6 and verse 38, John 8 verse 29 and verse 55, John 10, 17 and 18, John 12, 27 and 28, all of these verses continue to speak of Christ's obedience to the Father. All these verses, they speak of Christ's obedience to the Father. And this is just in the book of John alone. And in John 14, verse 31, Jesus says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. 
so I do. It, it, it seems to me as though obedience is the condition of continuously remaining in Jesus' love. I'm going to say again, it, it seems to me as though obedience is the condition of continuously remaining in Jesus' love. Also, it's clear in John 14, 15, and John 14 and verse 21, that our love for Jesus is the wellspring of our obedience to Him. Our obedience is the demonstration of the reality of that love. It's our obedience and nothing else. So then, do we truly know what it means to abide in His love? And exactly how to do it. How do we do this? Well, Jesus tells us clearly how we abide in His love. He says, keep my commandments. Obedience. Okay, so is He speaking here of, of the Old Testament law? Is He speaking here of the Ten Commandments? What commandments, Jesus? What, what commandments is Jesus speaking about here? Verse 12 tells us, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. That's the commandment. So Jesus is repeating himself here in verse 12, and he's making a point, and he's stressing a point. So I will too. You see, Jesus already told them in John chapter uh, 13 and verse 34, he already said, a new commandment I give to you. He said this already, a new commandment I give to you in the previous two chapters, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you have love for one another. So, does God want people to know that we are His? Does God want people to, to really know that we are His, that we belong to Him? Absolutely. How? By our love for one another. By our love for one another. Interestingly here, you know, Jesus doesn't say, you know, a new commandment I give to you that you love God. Instead, he says, the new commandment is to love one another. And then he goes on to tell, you, tell them to abide in his love. Now, let me be clear. The, the genuine stuff that we do for one another, that all comes from us uh, abiding in, in him and abiding in his love for him. But loving God, I'm going to say this, but loving God is not the end goal. His love for us is the foundation. Our love for him is the response. And loving people is the end goal. I'm going to say that again. His love for us is the foundation. Our love for Him is the response. And loving people is the end goal. Loving God is proved. And I'm going to show you in the Scriptures. But loving God is proved by our love for people. Loving God is proved by our love for people. You see, if Jesus just said, love God, how would you actually really know and how do you actually 
measure if someone is really loving God? How would you know who loves him and who doesn't? I guess we just have to take everyone's word for it, that they're loving God. Jesus is saying, loving God is demonstrated by your love for one another. Are you guys hearing that this morning? Jesus is saying that loving God is demonstrated by your love for one another. It's, it's not just in word only. Oh, I love him. But it's demonstrated. You see, it's, it's absolutely impossible to love God without loving people. You, you cannot love God and not love people. It's impossible. And vice versa. You can't truly love another person until you have been first loved by God and, and received and experienced and know His love. You first have to have been loved by Him and it's your love for Him too that causes you to love others. Your love for Him will eventually be manifested in your service to other people. Jesus made this crystal clear in Matthew's Gospel. Let's read it. Crystal clear. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink and, 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 and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. Thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, truly, 
Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You cannot love or serve God without loving and serving people. Amen. Amen, church. You can't. Jesus stressed this point, so I wanted to as well. Let's move on. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus promised his, his peace in John chapter 14 and verse 27. He insists that his followers remain in his love in John chapter 15 and verse 10. And he now, now Jesus offers his, his joy in John chapter 15 and verse 11. He promised his peace. He said, remain in my love. And now he offers his joy in John 15 and verse 11. Just in case the disciples think that obedience, the obedience mandated in verses 9 and 10 seem burdensome and joyless. Just in case, verses 9 and 10 where it speaks about obedience, just in case they, they somehow believe that's burdensome and joyless, he presents to them now in verse 11 his joy. Jesus reminds us that his obedience to the Father is the grounds for his joy. And he promises us that if we are obedient too, that we will share in this same joy and that our joy may be complete. And if many of us are honest, I think sometimes we often view obedience as well as, as joyless, burdensome and restricting. However, it's the opposite. It, it, it truly is the opposite. Uh, obedience in Christ will produce a freedom and a joy that you never knew you could experience this side of heaven. Obedience will provide for you freedom and joy. You know, when, when God gives us instructions, when God gives us direction, commands and boundaries it's not for bondage but it's for freedom and it's for life amen I'm going to say again when, when God gives us instructions and directions and commands and boundaries it is, it is good for us and it's not for bondage but it is for life and it is for freedom How many of you guys have a, have a fireplace at home? Yeah. Fireplace. A fire is only good when it's in its place. A fire is only good when it's in its place. When it has borders and it has boundaries and it has limitations good. A fire outside of its place is a wildfire. Think about your house. 
the fireplace in your house. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. When the fire is in its place, the fireplace, it is good. Keeps the house warm. Sets the atmosphere. You can, it, 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 you can even cook with it. Right? It, it's, it's, it's good. It gives light. It's good. But you take a fire outside of its place and it will burn the whole house down. And destroy you too. So a fire is only good in its place. The moment you remove the walls and the boundaries and the limitations, it becomes destructive. And it destroys everything. Like the fireplace, let me use sex as an example. Sex is a good thing, a wonderful thing, only in the context of marriage. You take that outside of the context of marriage, destroys homes, destroys families, it encourages abortions. Murder is often the fruit of affairs. Rage and jealousy, it gives birth to, to sicknesses and disease. And we could keep on going, but you get the point. Listen to me. God doesn't benefit from your obedience to the same degree as you do. God doesn't benefit from your obedience to the same degree as you do. Some people, they, they, they feel like they're doing God a favor by being obedient. They really do. They, they feel like their obedience is, is doing God a favor. But it's not. Your, your obedience to Him is good for you. Your obedience to Him is good for you. You benefit from it. Not him. He, he benefits in the sense that he receives our worship, yes. And he can use us more when we're obedient, yes. But he's also, he's not sustained by your worship. God is not sustained by your worship at all. And he's not sustained by your obedience. Whether you obey him or not, He's still going to be God and He's still going to be on the throne. Whether you worship Him or not, He's still going to be God and He's still going to be on the throne. So it is, it is good for you. It's for you. His instructions are good for you. It all benefits you. And He does it all for you and He tells you because of His love for you. And he will face no consequences for your lack of worship or for your lack of obedience. But you will face the consequences. Amen. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. His love for us was selfless, sacrificial. And we don't get to decide how we love people, who we love, and to what degree we love them. You are called by God, commanded to, to love all people with an unconditional, sacrificial love. And as you know, our relationship with most people <clears throat> is usually conditional. I'll love you as long as you love me. As long as you show me love, I'll show you love. But the moment you stop showing me love, that's it. Let's be honest, I, 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 I mean, for believers too, most times our love is conditional. It's based upon the other person. You disrespect me or offend me in any way, and I'm done with you. Christ's love for us is an unconditional love. Can, can we too love people without conditions and without limits and without manipulation? That's how Christ is calling us to love people. Now, now, if you haven't received Christ, you're not expected to love like this because you cannot love like this. It's impossible for you to love like this if you haven't first experienced that love, received that love. But if the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts, then how can you not love like this? Look for opportunities to sacrificially love and serve each other. Loving one another, that's <clears throat> that is us here at the Way City Church, TWCC, having, having deep and, and meaningful relationships and, and roots with one another. I want to encourage you to be, to be open with one another and vulnerable with one another. For that's how deep and meaningful relationships are truly formed. And I mean, man, what would it look like? If we, if we truly sacrificially loved and served each other, what would our church look like? Let's just dream for a moment. What would our community, what would our city say about the Way City Church here in Woodbridge? Not, not us seeking to be served. You know, the Bible says, uh, Owe no man nothing but to love him. Romans 13 and verse 8. Owe no man nothing but to love him. And, and why, is, why is that so important? <clears throat> the entire law, the Bible says, is fulfilled in your love for one another. Paul says it in Romans, and Jesus said it in Matthew. Listen, nobody owes you anything. But you, as a believer, owe everybody love. <clears throat> Nobody owes you anything. But you owe everybody love. That should be the attitude by which you live your life. 
Everything you receive from others is a gift and a bonus. No one owes you anything, but you owe everyone love. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. At a lesser level, we could say that, that this lays out the standard of, of love Jesus' disciples are to show to one another. But at a greater level, it refers to Jesus' love for and death on behalf of his friends on the cross. On a greater level, this is referring to Jesus' death on behalf of his friends. And this is great news. The gospel is a person, a someone. And who is that person? That person is Jesus. Jesus is that person. The gospel is a person. The gospel is, the gospel in, in seven words, Jesus laid down his life for yours. Jesus laid down his life for yours. The gospel, seven words. Jesus laid down his life for yours. God made us perfect, as you know, and to fellowship with him. But we rejected God and we chased after what? Our own desires. And we willingly chose sin. And Romans 3 and verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. What mark? That's, that's God's mark. We've all missed the mark. God's mark. We've, we failed to live up to God's standard, which is the only standard that He can accept. And so we've been separated from Him. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. That's the price. That's the, that's the prize. That's the paycheck. That's the reward that you've earned because of your sin. Your gift is death. That's our payment for our sin. It's what we deserve because we've worked intentionally and hard to reject God and to rebel against Him. So our only rightful reward is death. But surprisingly, God did not deal with us according to what we deserved. Romans 5 and verse 8 tells us that God demonstrated His love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners Christ willingly died for you personally he showed us grace something that can only truly be understood through Jesus Christ he died for all but his grace is sufficient for you He died to, to bring you and I back into fellowship with God. 
so that you may what? Abide in His love and have intimacy with God. He desires intimacy with you. And now Romans 10 and verse 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let me tell you how, how great this love is that Jesus Christ even died for people that he knew would reject him. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And the disciples, you know, I don't believe they, they fully comprehended the depths of this statement that night. Right? Jesus is speaking to them um, before the cross about, about, about laying down his life for his friends and I really don't believe the disciples fully comprehended the depths of this statement on that night before the crucifixion however the Holy Spirit would have brought it back to their remembrance at the appointed time and it was recorded for you and I and it also benefited them when it was spoken verse 14 you are my friends if you do what I command you Obedience again. Obedience again. Here's obedience again. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, this obedience is not what makes them friends, but it is what characterizes his friends. Are you following me? It's important that you understand that. This obedience is not what makes them friends, right? There's nothing that we can do to become uh, a friend of Christ or to be saved, right? So this obedience is not what makes them friends, but it's what characterizes his friends. Amen? Amen. Don't tell me you love me without action, Jesus is saying. Don't, don't even say that you're a friend of mine if you don't do what I command you. Don't even, don't even use that kind of language. 1 John 3.18, if you remember, it says... Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So we're not loving with our words, but we're loving with our deeds. There's no such thing as, as loving with your words. And we'll, and we'll speak, you know, uh, soon more about God's love and we can look at Psalm 139 which is beautiful but just a side note if you go through the, the scriptures right it's, 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 it's very rare right where you see um, where you see the Bible speaking about well, well you never hear you, you know a direct you know I just I just love you Right? But it's always demonstrated, right? For God so loved the world, right? We know, we know that He loves us. Everyone knows that, right? But He loved by His demonstration. God so loved the world that He gave. So love is always backed up with action, always. It's never just spoken. Oh, I love you. It's always demonstrated, always. And all throughout the scriptures, 
God's love is more demonstrated than it is spoken. For love is demonstrated. So don't call yourself a friend of God in your disobedience, is what he's saying. But he does invite you in as a friend. Right? I believe that, you know, Jesus Christ in today's day and age, he's, he sent the entire world a Facebook friend request. Right? He's, he sent the whole world Facebook friend request. So the question is, would you like to be a friend of Jesus? Would you like to be his friend? But just know this, that if you go on Jesus' Facebook page and you look at his friends list, you're going to discover something. You'll find out that all of his friends on the about section, if you click on what they like, the first thing that they like is obedience. All of his friends. Their first like is obedience. And then verse 14 leads right into verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus no longer calls us servants. Because the servant doesn't receive valuable information. But the friend does. And I have revealed to you all that the Father has revealed to me, he says. I mean, I, wow. Jesus says, I've, I've revealed to you all that the Father has revealed to me. Wow. Jesus, I mean, I've revealed to you everything that the Father has revealed to me. I'm revealing to you. What intimacy. He's doing this with his friends. What What intimacy we have with Jesus when we abide. You know, in one sense, Jesus gives his life for the world. But again, in another sense, he dies for his friends. He dies for his friends. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If we go back to, to school days, who remembers uh, elementary school, um, middle school? Maybe some of this happened in, in, uh, in high school too, but some of you will have good memories and some of you will have bad memories of sports days and, and PE classes, right, where the teacher would pick two kids and make them captains. Right, you guys know where, <laughs> where we're going, right? Two kids make them captains and then the kids would go back and forth and they'll divide up the teams, <laughs> right, picking the players who they wanted on their team. And it was always awkward when you got down to the last few. Right, it just became a little awkward and then by the time you got down to the last kid, like technically he wasn't even picked. <laughs> right, he, he's, he's the kid that was just on the opposite team of the person that picked first. And I'd often feel, feel bad for those kids. Um, and sometimes I'd remember they'll even say they're not playing before the captain picked because of fear of rejection and not being chosen 
or picked. Someone once said that to be chosen is to be loved. To be chosen is to be loved. I believe that. However, if, if to be chosen is to be loved, then to be rejected is to be despised. And on those occasions of dividing teams up in school, you didn't choose what team you were on. But you were chosen by another. In a similar way, you did not choose God. Even though sometimes it feels like you did. But you didn't. You did not choose God. Because you couldn't. You couldn't choose God. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But He came to you. You didn't find Him because He wasn't lost, right? But He found you for you were lost. And He came to you and He found you and He chose you. And there's nothing quite like being chosen. Amen. There is nothing quite like being chosen. And if I'm honest, I was almost always the first pick or among the top picks for, for every race and sporting event and game at school. And it made me feel wanted and needed. There is nothing quite like being chosen. When you're chosen, it makes you feel valued and unique of good use and, and necessary, makes you feel necessary, you know? It, it means someone has seen potential in you. Someone's seen value in you. And every wife can also understand this in a natural sense. Being chosen and being picked. I heard someone else say there's no gift like being chosen and there's no pain like rejection. We've all heard of unplanned pregnancies, right? We've all heard of unplanned pregnancies, but we've never heard of an unplanned adoption, right? Unplanned pregnancies, they happen every single day, but we've never heard, heard of an unplanned adoption. That has never happened. Adoptions are by choice. We, we, we handpick and we invite in. Even, even our own birth children, right, we cannot select. We kind of just have to take what we get, right, and, and, and work with that. But God has handpicked you. He's chosen you. He loves you. He has given you value. You had no value outside of him, you were dead and filthy sinner in your muck and in your mess. He has chosen you and he has given you value. He didn't come to you because you were valuable. You understand that? But he came to you and he gave you value. Let me make this clear today as we get ready to close. All of the rejections of your life cannot tip the scale of Christ's choosing of you. 
All of the rejections of your life cannot tip the scale of Christ's choosing of you. Maybe you feel like you were rejected as a child because you were given up for adoption. Maybe you were rejected by a boyfriend or a girlfriend in a broken relationship. Maybe you've gone through a tough divorce. Maybe you were fired from a job. Maybe you're all of the above. Whatever area of your life you feel the most rejected in, I want you to know that Christ's choosing of you trumps all your rejections. Amen, church. You were rejected by humans, yet chosen by God. Amen. Rejected by humans, yet chosen by God. And remember, He knows all your weaknesses and all your failures, and He still chose you. Isn't it beautiful? That's beautiful. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. All your weaknesses, all your sins, and He still chose you. Verse 17. Our final verse here as we close. These things I command you so that you will love one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And, and finally for today, Jesus is reminding us, He's repeating Himself again, and He says to love one another. I, I think it's very important to our friend Jesus that we love one another. And He reminds us that, and He commands this. He commands this. Say it with me. Say, He commands it. He commands it. And so my question to you is how do you respond to commands? How do you respond to commands? Do you rebel or do you submit to them? Don't, don't verbally answer me. And don't even, don't even answer the question to yourself. Because we will all see by your actions how you respond, not by your words. Amen? Let's stand up, please. In conclusion, we are chosen and appointed by God to abide in His love, bear fruit, and love one another. We are chosen and appointed by God to abide in His love, bear fruit, and love one another. Bow your heads with me, please. Take a moment, please, and just reflect and think about the message that you heard this morning. Just bow your heads and just think about the word that you heard this morning. How did the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning? What is the Holy Spirit requiring of you this morning? This morning, you heard good news. You heard about Jesus' 
death on the cross for you and for your sins. You heard how you were lost and how he found you, chose you, appointed you, how he's calling you, how, how you can receive him by acknowledging your sin, by confessing with your mouth, by believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that you can be saved this morning. So if you're online or if you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus, today's your day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And I feel stronger about this this morning than usually. So if you are online or if you are in this room, and Jesus Christ, you haven't made him Lord and Savior of your life, then right where you are, you can call upon him. And he will save you. Right where you are. And you can come into this relationship. And you can benefit from this abiding in him. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.